welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Today we hear from Dr. Naisha Winters and her team on how to facilitate a better healthcare system and how medical professionals and patients can help and take part. Maybe you could tell more about how patients can get involved. Yeah, yeah. So maybe um, I think we lost Cindy because I would love to have her tell us a bit about the patient advocacy program. Um, And are you speaking specifically, Linda, as patients in the advocacy or patients in their self-care? Yes, patients in their self-care. Okay. People realize that they have to take ownership of their own condition. Like you said before, nobody's going to do it for you. So if you've been diagnosed with not just cancer, but any chronic condition, it can be devastating. And you're like a rabbit in the headlights, as we say over here, and you you don't know where to start. So perhaps you'd like to address that. I love it. Well, I mean, that is such another truck. Sorry about that. Such an integral question. It's such the, the million dollar question, because I think we've been modeled over the past, you know, 75 plus years that the doctors will do it for us, that the medical establishments have our best interest at hand. Um, even speaking with people of certain generations, like if you basically were born, um, you know, before the 1950s, you know, a doctor is God. They're on the pedestal. They have all the answers. It's hard to question that narrative. Even when you see that it's failing you, it's hard. I can still remember my mother-in-law in the last few years of her life as she was battling um, breast cancer in her late 80s. She didn't want to, she didn't want her doctor to be mad at her. She didn't want to ask questions. She didn't want to advocate and engage for her herself. And what I think is really important to keep in mind is um, an incredible clinician, surgeon researcher and inspirational writer and lecturer is Dr. Bernie Siegel. And many of your listeners might've heard of the book, Love Medicine Miracles that came out, I believe in the 1980s. And he was able to show that, and forgive, forgive if I offend anybody with this, but he basically said the bigger the pain in the ass, the patient, the better their outcomes. Okay. So what I mean by that and what Dr. Bernie Siegel meant by that is the more you step into the driver's seat, and driving the car of your own healthcare, or in the analogy of being the board, you know, the CEO of your board, you know, of your own health. And maybe you bring on board of directors or advisors to the team, but you are still in the driver's seat. That's a very different conditioning in the last generation or two that previous generations did not have. And it's hard to break loose from that model and that ideology. And we have a medical system that prides itself on being the expert and having all the answers and no, no need to go look elsewhere. We've got it all here for you. And yet hopefully those statistics I shared show you that we are not doing a good job at that. (laughs) And so I want folks to start to get um, curious. I want them to ask questions. I want them to do self audits of what could be driving their condition. And so we have these like terrain 10 questionnaires in the front of the book, uh, the the metabolic approach to cancer and that soon to be low hanging fruit uh, green uh, evergreen course that's being offered in October, which can be for those folks who 
want to get started somehow in learning how to advocate for themselves and start to explore. In fact, Cindy, your timing is perfect. Um, we were just uh, sharing with what could patients be doing right now and looking for and changing the model. And I'd love for you to tell them some of the patient resources we have coming up um, uh, in the fall and maybe even some of the resources that are available to them right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I always say go back and default to the book. And if you really pay attention, you know, have your highlighter, have your markers and be pulling out that information. And then, you know, on our website, we have a lot of information, but we also have a directory. And that directory has access to physicians. We have now started to populate it with advocates, and that's people who have gone through our courses. And then as well, we have NASHA approved products. So part of the battle is, you know, I think we all start asking ourselves this question after we've read the book is, would NASHA approve? And <laughs> if they're listed as an advocate, if they're listed as a physician, or if the product is listed, is listed then you know it's, an, it's a NASHA approved. Like, would NASHA have this in her kitchen or in her bathroom? Absolutely, she would. So starting with that, and then we are producing and putting materials out there on our Facebook site. So follow our Facebook site, our Instagram site. We're trying to get as much information out there as we can. And the advocates have gone through extensive year-long training to be able to support patients and to be able to support the physicians. And then the, the Evergreen course, as Nasha mentioned, these are going to be like practical application, and it's not just if you have cancer. If you are looking for prevention or for any of that, then it's how do you take the stuff that was discussed in the book and then actually apply that to your everyday life? So the book can be a little overwhelming if you haven't already had kind of this thought process on some of these things, and it may think, how am I going to do this? My life is going to drastically change, and what we want to show you is that you can live the same quality of life, still have the same fun, do all of the things that you want to do. You just do them differently, and you make different decisions. So that will be the uh, metabolic approach to life course, which Nisha has also referred to as the evergreen course. And so we're, and we have just loads. If anything I spoke to interests you, got you curious, we have so many, I mean, at this point, hundreds of podcasts and interviews and discussions that are free for you to go down, you know, literally days of rabbit holes um, free on the various sites, the, the resources of, of just um, things that are interesting to us, favorite books that we're reading that are enticing us and inspiring us. And, you know, when we brought on the uh, sort of nature approved devices, I was really resistant to it to begin with, to be really honest, because, you know, I was like, well, geez, this feels so salesy. Well, first of all, any proceeds, for, for instance, from the mistletoe book, um, that goes into a nonprofit organization that is fueling research in, in um, uh, mistletoe therapies and other integrative therapies. But the monies that come in, if there's any, if there are any associated affiliate fees, with our, like, if you say, oh, I really love, like to see what kind of coffee Nasha drinks, and you click on that link, that money goes into our nonprofit and that's what helps fuel grants for patient care and for patient education and for physician education. So it doesn't land or pad anybody's coffers. It just helps us try to get this off the ground. And I tell you guys, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me what's in my grocery basket, what's in my pantry, what's in my medicine bag, what's in my you know makeup bag, 
I would be a wealthy woman. I could have retired. And so I so resisted it, but people really are. I know I had to spend 30 years figuring it out for myself, curating it for myself, making a lot of mistakes, buying a lot of stuff I had to throw away or give away because it was so bad or didn't work for me or backfired or really wasn't all that it said it would do. So I, I, that's just what I do. I like to find things that help enhance my quality of life and make it fun and interesting and impactful along the way. So I just wanted to give a little two cents on that backup. Yeah. And, and it actually made me think I want to just kind of expand on one other additional thing that's going to be coming up is we're going to be building. We strongly, strongly believe that this is about the community that we build. We cannot make the metabolic approach to cancer or to life accessible globally without the community. And so we're going to be coming up with a community membership that if you're just looking for resources, if you're just looking to be able to access this, it'll be available via uh, this community membership. So continue to look for that because that's going to come with a wealth of information and resources as well. You know, we're trying to develop programs that will meet you where you are at, that will meet the community where the community is at. So whether that's a practitioner, a physician, an advocate, somebody who's in the cancering process, somebody who's looking at, at prevention, that they have a place to go to access information, to access resources, and to access, you know, if you think about tribes within tribes, so if we have the entire community, within that we have groups within this community that can all come together, collaborate together, and be able to help us and provide support in whatever way, shape, and form that looks like. Huge, huge. And I love it. Um, so I want to make sure I'm saying your name correctly, Saud, Saud or Saud. I apologize if I'm slaying it, but thank you for joining us from Chicago. And I'm so excited that you've got the mistletoe book. So you're going to have to send us a message and tell us what you think about it. Because I think it's really, um, it's a beautiful collection of seven voices. Like I said, there's a hematological oncologist, uh, a long time, uh, two long time anthroposophical physicians, several MDs and two naturopaths who are the authors of this book. And it's like the book wrote itself. We just were kind of a container or a vessel for those words, that wisdom to move through. And it starts to give you an idea of, a, of another tangible envisioned future for healthcare and hopeful future for healthcare. So I'm really honored that you got it and are starting it today. And then to your follow-up question, um, Saud asked about, is the metabolic approach to cancer master course suitable for patients? And um, maybe Deb, would you describe the difference between some of the programs since we don't have Janet here on this piece um, and just let them hear a little bit from you? Sure. So the physician course that you just mentioned, the metabolic approach to cancer master course, we really try to keep that as an intimate group of um, people who are practicing medicine um, that are licensed with either MD, ND, PA, NP, um, folks who are really on the front lines of patient care. And so um, there are some requirements um, to participate in that, that you need to be able to order labs, you need to be able to um, get imaging. And a lot of our folks who go through that program are partnered with somebody within our community to make sure that that can happen because they're trying to meet the demand of the patients. Um, the other way that we've been meeting the demand of the patients is the advocate program that Cindy designed and built for us. And it is essentially, as Nisha mentioned, that role that can be a professional role or it can be something that you do personally, but it is a role where you get equipped to use the metabolic approach to cancer for your own self-care, but also in the care of loved ones, others, or even as a professional role moving forward. 
And then um, coming in the fall is a program that's geared specifically for patients. And it's to help you learn the metabolic approach to life. And as Cindy said, the book is a great place to start, but it sometimes is a little overwhelming. So wouldn't it be great to have the opportunity to chat with a network and community members who are all sharing um, tips and tricks on how to make that applicable in your life based on where you are today. And the other thing that I want to add, going back to um, the how do, how do patients implement this, is on that last note, just keeping an open mind. And um, I will tell you from personal experience and from my family out here on the East Coast where we don't do a whole lot of this stuff, um, keeping an open mind that allows you to be curious about these things that you're learning about. The amount of data and support for the types of therapies that are available through the metabolic approach is a lot. And a lot of us, everyone, we haven't been educated about it. Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health is trying to change that. So as you read through it, you keep an open mind and you don't need to change everything all at once. Um, you can ease into it as I have. So hopefully that answered your question. That's awesome. And I saw that Dr. Lisa, thank you for being here, Lisa. This is great. This is someone who is a uh, boy, Ben, she's a healthcare provider. She's applying this to herself. She's applying this to others. She's a force to be reckoned with. Um, she has gone against the grain of um, people telling her it can't be done or even multiple uh, little uh, expiration date stickers placed on her uh, forehead over the last several years. Um, and yet this is a woman who uh, continues to show up in a maze and um, uh, inspire so many others. So I love that you're here and her question, and I'd, I'd love to see maybe if Cindy could take this one on, any projection on the timing of the hospital opening? Dilute, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So, so we are currently in the process of determining which piece of land and the piece of land, uh, Deb can explain this a lot better than I can, has a lot to do with actually when we will be able to get up and running just because there's zoning and all of that fun stuff. But our target date is to have that up in three years. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And that yeah, and please. I can expand upon that because um, there is a pathway, a timeline that can get us there with our funding and some of the decisions and support from local communities um, to get those approvals. However, um, we don't have to wait for that hospital. All of the rest of the ecosystem that Nisha just talked you through was put in place basically to build the foundation of support that we need for that hospital to really take off. The, the education programs, the creation of a community of like-minded souls who can collaborate and support, the call out to all of you who may be doing something that is groundbreaking and maybe it touches upon or overlaps with something that we are doing. So that call out to collaborate and share learnings. You know, this is happening. This is already happening. In fact, I want to touch quickly upon um, some statistics that Nisha referenced, but we didn't talk about. And it has to do with um, what's happening globally with wellness programs and wellness real estate like that campus. 
So um, in 2021, there was a really great uh, program that was put on by the Global Wellness Institute. And they projected using all of the different markets and all of the different um, uh, uh, industries that make up what they define as the global wellness economy and projected that it's going to be a $4.5 trillion business. And this includes things like preventive and personalized medicine that we're talking about projected to be a $575 billion global business. Um, it also includes things like increases in healthy eating, nutrition, weight loss, that's projected at 702 billion, and you know, a bunch of other key components, all of which are going to have a home on the campus that we are building. So a 4.5 trillion global wellness economy, and that is growth in a global economy that is declining in most other sectors. Mm -hmm. So I think we're in the right place. I think you all are in the right place, especially if you are doing something along these lines. The other thing I'll say specifically about the real estate is that back in 2017, when um, these types of wellness real estate initiatives were being tracked, there were, there were about 700 or so, 750 globally. And um, at last count, and I think they're no longer counting because there are so many of them, there are over 2,300 projects globally that are trying to create communities. Now, the real key point that I want to drive home is what Nisha touched upon, and that is our differentiator. What makes us really different is the Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health, where whether you are a cancer patient, a community member, or somebody from a wellness perspective looking to prevent metabolic disease, you can come there, be a part of that community, learn all of the things that are taught in the book, but also apply it based on that personalized approach of testing for you personally, having it addressed by someone who's trained in the metabolic approach, and then being a present through our community, through our network to be reassessed and addressed. So you can take all those practices home or you can come live with us on our campus. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you for that clarification. And before I turn it over, because I have some questions for Linda and for the community, but I saw that Patricia, hi, aloha back. Um, it just warms my heart. Someone else, in fact, Patricia was in my beta program for patient advocacy way back when. So she's one of the early adopters of this and has applied it um, in, uh, for a period of time, she applied it. They worked in a compounding pharmacy and applied it to patient consults there and in her own community and applying it to herself. Another person who's just been a force of, uh, an agent of change in the healthcare spectrum in a very kind of conservative and, and in a community that doesn't have a lot of really good resources for this. And so Patricia became that resource. So it's really fun to see you here as well. Um, and so thank you always for your ongoing support, but I love that she brought up something about having our own lab. And that is another conversation. It is actually in the, in the long term because we're having a heck of a time getting even all of our labs. We have to like go all over the place. We have to like get labs from like 20 different companies to get all the data that we want. And we do have a, a long-term vision of having all of that in-house as well, um, which will also drive down the cost, but also the potential for any mistakes made in those labs, the lab evaluation, and even the time and turnaround of the receiving of the samples and um, 
you know, getting the results of those samples and making them actionable as quickly as possible. So there are so many, I mean, we just skimmed the service here. I mean, it, we, we spend two hours just giving this presentation to interested investors, although we've got it down for people who just depending on exactly what parts they want to hear. But this is what's so incredible is the sky's the limit. This is going to take a village to make this happen. And you're someone, if you're listening to this, you obviously are already someone who knows you had to think outside the box and how to advocate for yourself. And that's probably how you found somebody like Linda or myself um, or someone who referred you to this talk today to hear that you already know that what is available to you is not enough um, and that it has to change. And so we're just in this position of taking advantage of Linda's brilliant heart and soul because she would not be here on this planet today if she had not been advocating for herself. And she and I had lengthy discussions, which I'd love for her to, to put a few thoughts into of what's about to come and change in her own neck of the woods, because I know really good and well what's happening in my part of the world, but um, I'd love for her to say a little bit more about it, but I'm just grateful that we're kind of banding her community and our community together to make some changes. So Linda, can you give us, you know, you had some really interesting insights and made me think about things I haven't thought about of what's to come in the UK with regards to access for healthcare and integrative healthcare and truly impactful healthcare. Our healthcare here, um, I hate to say it, but it's broken. Um, we have such a big problem. Um, we had Brexit to start with, and a lot of doctors left England and went back to the EU. So we were short of doctors. Then we had the pandemic, and a lot of the older doctors retired and ran for the hills. So then we were really short of doctors. So what they did was the doctors in their final year of training, they fast tracked them. So we have very young doctors. Green. Um, <laughs> um, and it would seem when you go to the doctors with some condition, they type in some of your symptoms and it comes up on the screen what it is and how it's to be treated um which is fine if you fit in that box <laughs> if you don't fit in that box you're shoehorned into that box so as i'm sure it is the same the world over, unless you have got an integrative um, physician, diet isn't looked at at all. Supplements isn't looked at at all. Um, our vitamin D levels, when I had mine taken a few years ago at the doctors, it came back that my levels were toxic. Um, when I spoke to Stephen Dixon, he said the levels that they use are the ones that they had back in the Second World War, I think, which were really, really low. So the levels aren't toxic. They are higher because we need more than um, what the um, what it says in their book. It's, it's the standard um, level. So as you were saying, 
changing the whole healthcare. We are at a position where something has got to happen. There has to be a, a new way of doing it. We have here, um, if you're sick, you can, um, first of all, self-care, if you've got a headache or something that you can go and buy over the counter. If you can't do that, go and see your pharmacist. And if, if they can't help you, you can contact your doctor, you can contact an emergency service, that's called 111, where you can go in a queue, you speak to a, um, like a receptionist, I guess, and they will take down your details and you're, you're triaged and then a doctor will phone you and he'll decide, or he or she will decide what the treatment should be, whether you should see somebody or, or suggest something else that you should do. But it's very difficult to see a doctor, very, very difficult. Um, we are now having nurse practitioners, which is good, um, but it would seem as though most people tend to see a nurse practitioner or consult with a nurse practitioner than a doctor. But how do we get around the fact we haven't got enough doctors? But you were saying that in your talk. You've got your microphone off, Nisha. Oh, we can't. Am I back on? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, part of you just started to describe some of the solutions is sort of patient driven in some of these sort of um, there's a, when we know that 90, 95% of the conditions we're dealing with that make us need to see the doctor eventually can be handled through diet and lifestyle measures. We need to start there. We need to start in the home because the physicians are not trained on how to help you with your diet, how to help you with your lifestyle, how to help you with your stress mitigation, how to help you with cleaning up your toxic, you know, get the fragrances out of your home, get the, throw out the toxic cleaning products and the toxic beauty care products that are that are wreaking havoc on your um, you know, hormonal health. Uh, get rid of the foods that are aggravating your GI health and uh, get rid of the stressors that are kicking up your blood pressure and you know, stop drinking the waters that are contaminated with known carcinogens and you know, all these different pieces. Those conversations don't happen with the doctor. And so we're hopeful that this course, the Metabolic Approach to Life can be kind of a do-it-yourself course. We're hoping that a lot of the discussions that are free on our websites around conversations I've had and interviews and podcasts start to give you some ideas of some things that are very tangible. Like most of the conversations I have when I'm on a webinar or a podcast is give me five take-homes that I could do today that are inexpensive, right? So I'm always giving those little pearls out and sharing those with the masses. So go take a look at that. And then this course that's coming out to literally hold your hand and walk you through how to start the journey without seeing your physician. Linda, I will tell you how many times I've been on an airplane or in a, in a conference or someplace where, like I was at the farmer's market not too long ago, last, last um, fall, and I had a person come up to me and I had people coming up to me saying, I know you don't know me, but I think you're, you know, Nasha Winters, and I think I've heard you on a podcast or saw you on, on this interview or read your book, and then telling me over and over and over again that simply reading the book changed their life, changed their health, changed their outcomes. I'm not telling you this to sell a book because 
just so you know, if anyone's ever written a book, it is a labor of love at best. It is not a financial gain <laughs> on any means. It is a way for me to stop saying the same thing over and over and get that information out there. And that particular book was born out of retreats that I used to um, have with patients that were like, you're giving us so much information, you need to put it in one place. So it's a reference guide for folks. And so it's a reference and an audit, a self-audit, and it's a great resource to start with. And you can pick them up in libraries and used um, all over the place. So it, you know, the cost doesn't have to be an issue. Um, but ultimately, people started telling me that even employing just a few things from the books already made a difference. So we know the next step up with this evergreen course of the metabolic approach to life will take it to the next level. And then if you are someone who's sick, then you're in the waiting room, whether you're in the waiting room to see that nurse practitioner or that physician, our patient advocates are trained and in communication with a medical network that can basically be a, a stopping, a stopgap while you're waiting to be seen, while you're in the waiting room to help you bring on, maybe get some much needed labs run or, or get, you know, access to some uh, supportive therapies while you're waiting to see the doctor. And then because of the weird gifts of COVID, we've also moved into a model where uh, telehealth is becoming far more utilized, that people can do much more care from home. As I mentioned of the trends of 2022, wearable devices are giving us automatic information to say, yep, your, your glucose is really off, off course here. Your blood pressure is going wonky. What's going on with your, you know, your breathing? Like we can actually get that into systems that our computers can talk to us. And as much as I've resisted it, believe me, my team will tell you computers and I are not friends. It is absolutely go not going away. It's only going to get more. And so I'm learning on how I can embrace it and make it work well for us and bring the high touch and the human touch to the conversation in addition to the technology. So those are where I think we're moving, Linda, and hearing what, what you're being crushed under back home. One of the things I've heard for years in caring for patients that lived in the UK is they were resistant to working with somebody like me because they had to pay out of pocket. They'd grown very comfortable with the NHS taking care of everything even when that medical system was failing them. They were less likely to step out, reach into their pocket and pay out of pocket to do something different than just sort of staying in the status quo of what the NHS offered. So in some ways, this is probably gonna upset some of your listeners, this is a welcome change. It needs to be blown up. It needs to be started over. Something has to give, as you said, something has to change. We've already been paying out of pocket for good healthcare in the United States all along. We don't even flinch anymore, right? And what we're building and developing is trying to also cost share and lower the cost of those out-of-pocket things and to get access to research grants to help cover some of these cares, access to philanthropic donations for people who have need that have can show need for those types of resources, just as examples of how we know we can get everyone to have access to what it takes to have a healthy life. Testing is expensive, isn't it? Very expensive. How can we get around the cost of testing? Because to find the root cause and to find what is wrong with the person, and as you said, everybody is unique, which could take a lot of testing, yeah. which could cost a lot of money. Yeah. So if you are in a position where you can afford the healthy food, yeah. but you can't afford all the testing, what's the answer? Mm, such a great question. And this is actually one, we came very close to the solution 
almost two years ago. We had uh, we had worked, looked at partnering with and we're on the final uh, partnership agreement of partnering with a lab who was able to get put together all of our panels, all of our kits, everything in one package and send it globally and gather it globally at a price point that was beyond uh, user-friendly for basically everybody. Unfortunately, COVID hit. And in doing so, it had this lab have to change course and focus on testing for COVID. And then once we got past that hiccup, then they had poor, they could not get access to materials. And this is actually still plaguing labs today. Mm. You can't get access to the tubes and the boxing and the materials and then the staff to run the tests and get them turned around in a, in a reasonable time. So it put us on hold, on hold, on hold. And we finally put it down but we are actually still in the search of and think we have a really interesting conversation coming up here in the next month with someone who does have the desire, the wherewithal, the resources to do exactly that and to be incredibly competitive in this nature where basically for the typical cost of a monthly lab, just to give an example, um, right now I think it's running our patients to do our monthlies for a patient going through this process around 100 US dollars to run their labs monthly to take a look at everything. And so that right there is already very competitive in the market. Um, and so we're knowing we want to try and underscore that further. That's our goal. And we know when we build our network, what drives down the cost of labs is volume. So when we get enough people involved, enough physicians involved, enough patient advocates involved, enough patients ordering these direct-to-consumer labs and bypassing the broken model, the, pipe, the price gets driven down further and further and will continue to do so. Now, there are definitely some workarounds and things that our advocates are trained to help the patient kind of get creative. Oh, Cindy, please add. You've got some things yeah. to add. Feel it. Sorry yeah, about that. So, so um, just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, every country has a little bit of a different challenge. And in some countries, the physicians can't even order the labs. So what, what is becoming more common is this um, direct consumer model where patients are ordering direct and consumers are ordering direct from the labs. But what we are doing is setting up partnerships with uh, lab partners in each country to drive down those prices. So as an example, in the U.S., the partnership we have, the monthly lab costs are actually $50 a month. We've gotten those down from, I mean, they were 300 plus before. And I think lab companies are becoming more um, are, are becoming more equipped to be able to deal with this model because they understand it's kind of like the concierge model of healthcare. People are just beginning to understand that it doesn't matter which country you are in. I think a lot of times people think that because we pay for insurance in the U.S. that we just automatically have better insurance and we don't, or we just automatically have better programs. We don't. We are still handicapped and restricted just as much as Canada, just as much as the U.K. And so if we want good healthcare, we have to pay out of pocket. So we're as a community trying to do everything we can to drive those costs down direct to consumer. And then in addition, that is why we are establishing ourselves as a nonprofit because we want to help patients subsidize some of those costs uh, that, that continue to reoccur. So one of the things that Deb is working on is establishing infrastructure to create those types of partnerships in the UK so that we can go to those UK providers as a UK entity nonprofit and establish those types of programs. 
they're badass. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think that there's kind of this um, misconception that that uh, that the U.S. and has it better, or that another country has it worse. And I kind of think we're all in the same boat. We've been working a lot with different countries, and it's broken in every single country. And the only thing that is going to fix it is movements like these, and a community that is strong and that is powerful and that is going to be behind it to drive it. Because the industry is not going to change. We have to change how we go and consume services. Such a great point. But I think telemedicine has advanced through COVID probably 10 years. You know, it's, it's springboarded, hasn't it? Where, you know, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, but all of a sudden they had to do it. And I think, as, as you were saying, you know, technology is going to be playing a bigger part. And that's a really good point. We have a lot of physicians and advocates who are consulting patients all over the country or all over the globe. And part of what we're doing in trying to help facilitate that is make sure if you have a physician in South Africa who is supporting a, a patient in the UK, how do they make sure that they can get IVs? How do they make sure that they can get labs? How can they get hyperbaric oxygen therapy? How can they get access to the therapies that are needed. And that's really where we need our community to come and help us build out those out in each country so that it's accessible for the patients. It's very difficult to have hyperbaric oxygen here, um, yeah. especially where I live. Um, there was uh, a center that I used to go to for MS people, but that closed. So yeah. it's very few and far between. But it does work. And does Linda, work. one of the things we're building out is in our network, we're building out our research department, you know, our research. And in that, we're building our IRB, which is the um, Investigational Review Board, which is what allows for uh, studies and research to happen. And even um, in satellites, like kind of outside of the, the, of the original site for the IRB, you can have outposts of people that fall into that category. And so folks from our network, we're working on creating an IRB that puts them underneath our network so that they can, through a research project, have a uh, hyperbaric chamber in their office type mm -hmm. of thing. So these are the types of strategies we're overcoming. We, we see that we see the hurdle or the, the wall and we either chisel away at it or we hop over it. And that's what we keep doing. And that you can already hear from Deb and Cindy my gosh, them and, and folks like like-minded, I mean, unbelievable, brilliant volunteers coming in who have expertise in a lot of these different areas are helping us meet these yeah buts head on and helping us, you know, come up with really, um, really incredible solutions, which then just further strengthens us. And um, we know we know we're already capturing the attention of, of people out there just by the, the nature of organizations and individuals that are reaching out to us saying, this is really interesting, but one model I'd like to put on the table so that people know that what we're looking to create already exists is in the United States, there's a, a, a spiritual uh, community, the Amish community, that they don't 
take insurance. That's not, they don't utilize insurance. And so they're, they have, the, they take up large populations in parts of the United States, especially in like Ohio, River Valley, Kentucky, Pennsylvania areas. And there are entire hospitals that have had to come up with a pay for, um, you know, a fee for service schedule for them that's at a competitive cash-based price so they can afford it. And ironically, just to give an example uh, between that type of model and these models of say imaging centers like uh, MRI centers, for instance, there are now these models moving into the imaging world where a typical out-of-pocket cost for an MRI in the United States is 2,500 US dollars. If you submit it to insurance, that insurance company pays that imaging company $4,500. Um, so cash pay is less than what's being given to the insurance companies. You can start to see the messed up thing of this. And what's happening in these sort of cost share environments is they've been driving the price down to under $500 for an MRI. So just to get examples of that, we have hospital models like that. We have imaging models like that, that are directing how we're structuring our fee structure within our environment. And so again, it's volume. And if we're a massive campus that's getting you know, thousands of patients and our extended network utilizing these services all over the world, the price point becomes actually something that most of us are able to handle without breaking the bank or have resources to subsidize it for those that don't have the means. That is what we're doing. That's why we know we have to fully step out and not engage with the system anymore because it's like enabling an alcoholic to keep drinking, right? Like, so we're, we're cutting them off, right? We're, we're starting over fresh here. Um, yeah, anything else, Deb, or something you'd add to that comment about how we're trying to shake up the model and that there already are some good examples of this worldwide and we don't have to completely recreate a wheel, but we're just adding to it, like taking their baton and running with it. Yeah. And then I, think, I really okay. do believe that this is going to be community driving it. Um, in in Nisha, there is a great question for you, um, and I've never heard of it. So I was going to chime in, but, um, can help but I don't know what it is. Part. Okay, where is it? Let's see, is it on? Uh, is it it's on in the here? chat. So um, there are a lot of labs that employ DNA coding to help detect and correct disease. What do you think about the cellular stress assessment utilizing DNA specimens as an option to target cancer in particular and health in general? Referring to tests like DNA cellular assess, assess, uh, stress, I can't even say that real fast. <laughs> DNA cellular stress assessment, chromosome testing, MTHFR test, gene correlation and functionality test. Excuse me. So basically, um, what that is, is what we already do, which is accessing epigenetic testing. So you can look at sort of the blueprint of what the patient came into this world with their propensities. And then you also then know their vulnerabilities and their strengths. And so you can shore up their strengths and you can shore up their vulnerabilities so that they're more resilient and resistant to disease by using that kind of data. We have a company that we already have partnership with in that there's a gajillion of them on the market today. Um, you know, any one of them can get you that type of data to evaluate through our particular terrain lens um, way that we look at it. And then the other side is there are abilities now to actually do um, like mitochondrial testing. So there's different companies out there that you can swab and actually check the health and virility and vitality and number of uh, mitochondria, which is the root of all disease and longevity. When you think about the, the fountain of youth and the fountain of health, it's all based on how well our mitochondria are working, which are the little powerhouses 
in our cells, um, the little powerhouse organs that are generating the energy. And so, you know, disease is literally kind of a excessive flow or, or um, blocked flow of energy. I mean, it's kind of putting it really basic, but it's what it, we're coming down to. We're learning pretty much every single conference I go to today, whether it's cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, al Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, it's all a metabolic mitochondrial disease about how well are they utilizing the energy um, in their bodies. And then the other thing about the chromosomal, you can actually check for telomere length, and you can even do chron uh, or um, like true chronologic versus physiologic age testing. And those are definitely tests that we utilize um, within our, 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 our tribe um, so that folks can go, okay, I'm actually like, so for me, for instance, I'm 50 years old, but the last kind of uh, chronology test I took that was looking at my physiologic cellular age and health showed me to be about 32 years old, right? So those are the types of things. And it's kind of inspiring when you also then look at like a 26 year old and theirs comes back looking like a 40 year old. Those are the folks you got to start working hard with and help them in, you know, uh, empower themselves to change their terrain so they don't have to see somebody like me in the future. So I love that question because these technologies exist. There's multiple brands, there's multiple companies and our tribe is taught how to utilize um, and evaluate that type of testing to help impart the wisdom and the education, the inspiration, the empowerment on the patient to make the changes necessary to change those expressions. Did that answer your question from whomever asked that? Just curious. Oh, good. Was that? Oh, yay. Oh, is there I, this, I, we got to find out who Saud or Saud is because they're asking great questions today. So thank you for, for that. Perfect. Anything else that you just feel like you want to dive into Linda on this topic. I mean, my gosh, we've got about 10 minutes left in our conversation here, but um, I feel like it's just an open book. Yes, I'm blown away with your idea. I can see how you're going to grow it, helping more people, having people help people. You know, you don't have to be a medical professional to be able to help people. Um, which is something I've been doing for a long while, not being yeah. medical. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think the testing, to get the testing down, I had a test um, several years ago now, um, probably 15, to find out what foods I was sensitive to. And that was then about 300 and something pounds. I mean, mm. that's a lot of money. And that was just the one test. But then you see, I didn't have, <laughs> I sent away for it, did it, it came back, but I didn't have anybody to help me. And I was um, sensitive to gluten and dairy, yeast. Um, so that meant dried fruits and all the different things, vinegar and It was eggs. like, oh my gosh, you must have been I know, so eggs. And there was some fish, there was some meat and it was like, really bizarre things um and it was impossible for me to work out a diet amongst all the things that I couldn't have um, so having somebody who can steer you and help you and guide you because the results of the testing are no good to you if you don't understand them mm, hallelujah yep you nailed that 
because there are a lot of functional medicine practitioners out there that are really well-trained and run a lot of tests, but frankly, they don't know how to make them actionable. They don't know how to weave together the story of the patient and explain it to the patient in a way that engages the patient to want to make the changes necessary. So they'll pretty much go, yep, you're screwed. This, 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 and this is off. You need to take this pill to take care of this issue, this pill to take care of this. And suddenly the patient's like buried in the overwhelm. They've got a hundred different supplements on board and thousands of dollars of, of supplements a month on board. They don't know why they're taking it. They don't have a priority around it. They don't have buy-in to it. That's got to stop. There's just as much discourse happening in the alternative and functional medicine community as there is in the standard of care. And so we are trying so hard to change that up because ultimately if you test well upfront, you save a ton of money in guessing work in things that really weren't necessary or didn't serve you or made things worse or missed the mark altogether. And so that's where I feel like I spend most of my career helping people empty their medicine cabinets of the things that are no, not really worthwhile um, to get really focused on what the priorities are. And so really work all about kind of this, a little bit goes a long way, use exactly what's needed in this moment and you'll need something different at a later moment. And so this is the strategy we work with. So we do end up keeping costs down. And so yes, they may invest in that testing up front, but I promise you they spend a heck of a lot less on their overall treatments that come out of that testing. And in the not so distant future, even the testing should become more readily available. So the other thing that you just touched on, how expensive supplements are. So are you planning in the future of working with supplement companies to bulk buy, if you like, for the, the village? to get the supplements cheaper and more Cindy, affordable. <laughs> you want to take that one, Cindy? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got, this goes along with uh, creating the partnerships in each country. There are goals that we are able to produce our own supplements and at a lower cost uh, for our community. That, of course, takes, you know, time and money. Everything that we want to do takes time, money, and resources. So, you know, it's kind of prioritizing those. But in terms of just like we're trying to find labs and treatment therapies in country, we're also negotiating pricing discounts uh, that can be accessible from everybody. But in each country, they're sourced differently. And there's different providers. And there's different quality of supplements. So our main... One of our main goals is quality first and then price second. Because some of the places um, are not pharmaceutical grade. They're not tested. <laughs> so yep. Yep. The, the quality is not necessarily what you would aim to have. But it's a minefield. You don't know which are the good, the bad or the ugly. You know, yep. where do you start? So I think having reputable recommended brands would be the way to go if not you could be spending a lot of money on supplements that really aren't doing what you think they're doing exactly we call it expensive pee um, and you'd remember one of our other founders steve ottersberg his specialty is cancer drug design in school but also bio nutritional biochemistry and he's also just got a knack for uh, he's been a formulator and developer of a lot of different uh, formula, formula lines 
from the cannabis industry to the pharmaceutical industry to the nutraceutical industry and everything in between. And so Steve is a stickler for quality and he can explain to somebody why something like, uh, you know, magnesium oxide or, um, you know, uh, uh, why you don't want to take things with like magnesium stearate or why you want to avoid titanium oxide in your supplements. He goes down and he's vetting all those things. So we do have kind of when, again, when you see those curated or, or Nasha improved, we've gone through that due diligence process for you because we do see so many folks trying to cut corners financially as a must, you know, we recognize that, but it can backfire terribly. A lot of people are having reactions to the fillers in their supplements or worse thinking they're taking something that's helpful, that may be if it was the right form and the right dosing of that particular supplement. So when I see someone like, well, I'm taking curcumin and it's sort of the catch-all be-all for cancer care, but they're taking 200 milligrams a day. And yet studies show that you really need probably closer to working your way up to somewhere from four to eight grams a day under medical supervision. That's really missing the mark. And so they may be spending that money thinking they're helping themselves when they're not. And so those are examples too, that will continue to, to bring in the awareness, bring in the education, bring in the resources, cost share, drive these things down because that's when we become a force to be reckoned with. Industries start to get interested. They wanna hitch their wagon to you when they see that you're becoming you know, a an agent of change and they wanna be attached to that. I mean, in the reality, um, the, the labs love us because they're getting paid up front with this direct to consumer model. They may be waiting for months or years or even never getting reimbursed from labs. And so they hemorrhage, they literally skim anywhere from the research shows anywhere from um, 60 to 70% of their expected revenue doesn't even come in. And that's just true. So when they have somebody like us coming saying, we'll give you cash, we'll pay it way, way less. But at the end of the day, you're basically, you're getting hundred percent of that. That is way more appealing to them. So we know we have secret sauce to start to make these changes happen. And the similar things are happening in the food industry in the supplement industry, the herb industry, the off-label drug industry, the hyperbaric chamber industry, like all the industries, as, as Deb said, across the board in, in the healing arts. So Big changes coming. And Linda, I love your enthusiasm because you have been sort of the, the prodigal um, patient advocate for as long as I know you. You were someone who inspires me to make an initiative happen. You've, you've knocked out three books. You've knocked out a, a, an incredible resource that you put on multiple international summits. You're getting ready to do a book signing in the United States soon. You, I mean, we, we were all supposed to go to South Africa in the midst of COVID and had to postpone <laughs> that for people interested. Every one of our doctors have been trained in the know-how of low-dose naltrexone because it's such an integral part of a, somebody dealing with a cancer process. So this is something that I just want to give my shout out and my deep, deep gratitude for you being an, a game changer of you being an agent of change and you being an inspiration to myself and our organization and others to come. Oh, thank you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, Linda, L-I-N-D-A, at LDN rt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.